Turn me the book of First Thessalonians as we're doing a verse by verse study and that letter to the church at Thessalonica, and we want to look this morning on how the gospel works. I'm going to ask you when you find the book of First Thessalonians, we're going to look in the first chapter, focusing on verses five through ten, but I want to start at verse four. Verse four through the end of the chapter. I'm going to ask when you find that. To stand in God's honor as I read from his heart and mind that we affectionately know as his word. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from the idols to worship the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's pray. Master, as we come before You, Lord, we firmly believe that It's not by power nor by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Father, I plead with you for anointing this morning to be able to proclaim your word, God, to be able to prophesy or bring forth your truth uh, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If your anointing is not there, God, then what is? Not much. Uh, Lord, we pray that there would be a a true uh, calm in our spirits, that we know we hear from you, that there would be conviction, that it's truth, God. Um, Father, there would be courage, uh, that I would speak uh, freely, Lord. That, uh, Father, there would be uh, just a, a sense of your call, God. And may you be honored, may you be blessed as we continue to worship you, Lord. And we just ask that your spirit would be free to speak. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to talk this morning about the gospel. And wow, what a tough subject uh, because it's so easy for us uh, to get nervous and to get afraid when we think about sharing our faith, when we think about communicating the deep truth of God. And I want to just briefly look at several reasons that... Um, we give for not sharing our faith. And this is from Leighton Ford's book. Uh, Number one, I'm afraid I might do more harm than good. I'm afraid I'll mess it up. Well, I believe with all my heart that if you go with a heart that loves people and loves the Lord, and you just go faithfully, you won't mess it up. Secondly, I don't know what to say. Now, don't get me wrong here. First, I want to say, I know there's a difference when you get real nervous. Sometimes your words get twisted up and you can't think of anything to say. I don't really want to address that, though. I do want to address this idea of, I don't know what to say because I really haven't thought through what's happened in my life. 
Listen, what God really expects of each of us is to be able to share what Jesus Christ has personally done within us. It says in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Have you really sat down and thought about what has happened in your life as far as Jesus goes? Who is Jesus to you? Is He your Savior? Is He your Lord? Has He set you free? Has He made you whole? Is He your hope of heaven? Have you sat down and really thought through that so that you can articulate that to someone else? Because I'll be quite honest with you guys. If you can't articulate to someone else what has happened to you, how do you really know anything has happened to you? If it doesn't really mean a great deal to you, where it's the very hope of your life, what good is it? Someone has said that good preaching comes from good thinking. And I believe just as well that good witnessing comes from good thinking. We need to stop and think about what has Jesus really done in my life, in my heart. I heard a story of a little boy that came to a preacher and he gave him a sack of change, a small bag of change. The preacher said, what's this for? He said, well, he says, ever since I talked to my dad, I've just felt so sorry for you. He said, why? He said, because my daddy told me the other day, you're the poorest preacher we've ever had at this church. And we may feel that way in being able to, to share the gospel, but I think it comes from clear thinking. So my, so my challenge to all of us, sit back this week and think about, God, what have you really done in my heart? Who is Jesus to me? What does He mean to me? What experience have I had in my life through Jesus Christ? Um, third, I may not be able to give snappy answers to tricky questions. You know what? It's okay just to say, I don't know the answer, but I'll do my best to try to find out the answer and talk to you later. But I always come back to the truth of, I don't know every answer, but I do know an answer that really matters. And share about what Jesus means to you, what He's done in your life and in your heart. Uh, number five, I may invade someone's privacy. Hey, you don't have to force it like a mafia boss or a holy hitman. But since the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, I mean, after all, if Jesus is the truth, people need to know about Him. Uh, number six, I'm afraid I might fail. You're not going to fail if you're willing to lead Jesus, if you're willing to let Him lead you. You may not have some incredible display or show of the Spirit in somebody's life, but that doesn't mean you failed if you're faithful. Number seven, I'm afraid I might be a hypocrite. Well, get on the bus. To some degree, we all have a sense of hypocrisy in our lives, and uh, we wouldn't need a Savior if there wasn't that struggle that's there. But our call is to go faithfully in spite of the struggle. Okay, um... They asked at a Billy Graham conference, they said, uh, reasons you didn't share your faith. Uh, 9% said they were too busy to remember to do it. Shared in Sunday school, I got busy this week and almost missed an opportunity just to talk to somebody, meet somebody. I just need to slow down. Sometimes we just need to slow down. Uh, Number two, 28% felt the lack of real information to share. None said that they didn't really care. Man, take a tract with you. Do what what I just challenged you to do. Sit and think about what Jesus has done in your life so you can tell somebody. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope you have. 12% said their own lives were not speaking as they should. Well, get that fixed. You know what I love about Jesus? He takes you where you are. And He loves you and He forgives you so that you can start fresh. His mercies are new every morning. Isn't that beautiful? Just get it fixed and walk with Him.
God and you begins. And fourth, by far, 51% said the biggest problem was they're just afraid. Sometimes it is scary. People can be scary. Like the story of the lady that she went out witnessing. and The pastor told her, you can do it. He says, you just have to be a prayer warrior. You have to pray fervently and God will use you. So she went out. They came back about an hour later. All met together in a group, those who had gone out. pastor said, how did it go? And she said, it went great. God answers prayer. I said, really tell me about it. I said, well, I prayed that nobody would be home. And every door I knocked on, there was nobody there. <laughs> Man, fear can be terrorizing. And we get in our ideas sometimes that we think that when the gospel goes out, the picture that we get is this dynamic speaker that just captivates everybody. And they all just sit and they listen with intrigue. And, and then when it comes time for the invitation, here they come down, you know, in mass. And fill the aisles and there's a super invitation. And, and people come. And I'm not knocking that. I think that's a great, wonderful work of God when that occurs. But that's not the only definition of evangelism. Or we think that you have to have the gift of evangelism so that when you speak, I mean, you can just see it. They're under conviction as you walk in. Because of the gift of evangelism. I remember uh, when I was a teenager, I worked for a summer where my dad had worked for most of his life. Uh, GE has a, a, a lighting factory where they make filaments for light bulbs. And, uh, man, I, God gave I was reading this book by Charles G. Finney, who was an evangelist. And it talked about how one day he just walked into this place where people worked and people just started weeping and fell on their face before God because God was just all over him. So here I was, I was about, I was 18, 19, I started pressing, Oh, God! I mean, just get a hold of me, Lord. I mean, just set me on fire. Just fill me so with your spirit that when I walk in GE tonight, they're all just going to fall on the floor under deep conviction because Todd walked in the door. Well, guess what? That never happened. I guess you're not really surprised by that. Uh, but, you know, that was my heart. That's what I want. Hey, look, it doesn't have to be some display of power. But how God works is through all of us. We're all missionaries. He all calls us to go and he, he takes us to certain places that are not by chance or circumstance. It's, it's not coincidence. It's God incidents. He directs us. But I want to look at these verses as we discuss the natural work of the gospel. You see, Paul couldn't separate the idea of the gospel from the church. The church is born as the gospel impacts people's lives. And as they're changed by a work of the Holy Spirit. But by the same token, as the gospel creates the church, the church is the vehicle that the gospel moves out from into the community, into the lives of others. So we couldn't separate the two. Where you have the church, you have the gospel. And where you have the gospel comes the church. And so we want to look today at... Uh, in this section of Scripture, how the gospel is received, the gospel redirects, and how the gospel resounds out. First, how the gospel is received. It comes through word and works. Man, our, our works need to be honest before God, but we have to say something. There comes a time where you have to speak His truth. Uh, this is what Paul had to say and. The book of Romans, chapter 10, this is verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? 
It says in Matthew chapter 10 that Jesus looked out over the crowds and He saw the people and they looked harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then He came back to His disciples, His followers, and He said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into His harvest field. So He got the guys together and He said, Guys, here's my burden. We need to pray. But you know what He did after that? They spent some time praying, and then it says they came back together, and he says, I, Jesus said, I think he's calling you guys to go. And he sent them out two by two to share the news. And he said, share this message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Message hadn't changed today, guys. All this busyness, but nobody going anywhere. What's the message? <laughs> One day we'll meet him. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here's the way He wants us to encounter Him. The Gospel. The good news. That's the heart that He wants to work within our lives. The message comes through a messenger. You know, even though the message is true and the messenger is false, it can really hurt the validity and the effectiveness of the message going out. Jesus said to those religious leaders that were in charge, this is from Matthew 15, 7 and 8, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, God wants to work through incarnation. He wants to work through people. Uh, And obviously He did that. He could have thundered down His truth in a loud, visible voice to all, but He chose to do it through His Son. Here's how the Gospel of John opens up. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God embodied His love in Jesus Christ, who walked among us. God's love with skin on, with human flesh. Fully God, yet fully man, able to be seen. And He still wants to do an incarnation type of work today. And He wants to do it through His kids, through you and through me, those who are His. Do people see uh, that you're a believer? Is it obvious? Alright, let's look at how the Gospel redirects. Back to 1 Thessalonians. I want to look at five points here from how the gospel redirects. First, in verse 9, it says, They turned from idolatry, which was giving what doesn't deserve worship, and turning to he who does deserve worship, our Lord God. It says, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 
I love to read some of these missionary books in third world countries, how you have people who are worshiping these idols, these uh, handmade symbols of God, a different God, God of the little G. But they meet Jesus and, and their perspective changes and they get rid of those little G gods and they begin to worship the one true God. But secondly, not only is there a turning from idols, but secondly, there is a longing for Jesus to return. Look at verse 10. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now guys, this is frightening to many unbelievers because they think God's the holy hit man and He's out to get me. He's mad at me because He knows my junk. But once you meet God, once you see the full love of Jesus Christ, that changes. It's not like the bumper sticker that was out a few years ago that said, Jesus is coming back and boy is He mad. That's not Jesus. It's His heart, it's His desire to forgive you. He wants you to experience His love. And, and that happens when a person meets Jesus. There's a longing to see Him for Him to come back. A third, they willingly followed spiritual leadership. Look at verse 5 here. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for your sake. They followed spiritual leadership because God got a hold of their attention and their hearts with deep conviction and, and moved them to respond. Um, to hear, to watch, to do. And then fourth, they exhibited joy. Look at verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. You know, it's obvious. It doesn't sound like anything that would be written by an American. Can we put joy and suffering in the same sentence? And yet, when you look in the Scriptures, in Acts 13, it talks about how they suffered for the sake of Christ, yet they were filled with a joy. It's not from outward circumstances, but from an inward trust in the living God, a confidence that He's in charge and, and that He loves us where the joy comes from. That happens with one that's been changed. And then the last one here, guys. Um, there was a spiritual imitation. That last part of, uh, or that first part of verse 6, she became imitators of us and of the Lord. You see the flow here? They saw Paul and his co-workers come in with a heart for Jesus, a love for Jesus. They watched their lives as well as what they spoke from the lips. And they were, man, they were moved. They were moved by Paul and his friends and moved by God at work. And they wanted to be like Paul and his co-workers because they saw the Lord in their lives. And then as they began to grow and change, other people who were coming in to the church who rubbed shoulders with other believers said, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. As God began to work. Now, I want to share with you something that really kind of got a hold of me as I thought about this. It got really convicted in my heart. You know, we have a tendency to kind of get down on each other or certain church members. Or we look around and say, boy, he or she's a lot of hot air. They want us to believe they're really living for the Lord, but nah, I don't think so. 
it is so easy to do that. But instead of the finger going out, I want to take a moment and I want the finger to come in. I want to ask a question from a different perspective, guys. If every part of the body of Jesus Christ at Kingsway Baptist Church imitated you, lived as you live, followed the Lord according to the measure that you follow the Lord, what would Kingsway look like? And would you want to be here? Would you want to be here? If you don't like the answer to that, don't blame me, blame the Holy Spirit. And get to work. Get to work. On your heart before God. Because He wants to change us. He wants to work in us. Uh, this is from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. Thick, I call it thick. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You know, occasionally some of you have personally told me about opportunity you've had to talk to other people about the Lord, how He opens doors. And a lot of times you don't mean to, but you're there and God gives you the chance. And you have. And you know what's cool is it's always exciting. There's nothing to pump you up more than having an opportunity to know that God allowed you to just share a little bit. You, you can't help but get fired up. It's like, man, that's so cool. God actually might have used me, poor pitiful me. And it's exciting. And it excites me to hear you share it. And, and it reminds me of that God's working at Kingsway. And He's working in you. And I need to hear that. So tell me more of it, okay? I, I, I need to hear it. I need to know. Alright, finally, uh, the gospel rings forth. Look at verse 8 here. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. The word rang out here means to ring out with a large bang. It shook out through the whole land. The message of Jesus was not a private matter, but because it had changed the lives of those early believers in Thessalonica, they had to share. You see, that... Uh, idea of a herald or, or a messenger who goes out in the original language talks about one who's walking out among the crowds and sharing faithfully a message. It's too important a message to keep private, to keep to oneself. And that's what was happening in Thessalonica. That's what was happening among God's people. Guys, they were able to get out there and to share. And sometimes we think, well, we don't have the right tools, you know. If we only had this resource or if we only had this type of training... Or if, if we only had this book, man, what could we do for God? Guys, they didn't have all the technology we have. They didn't have tracks. Guys, they didn't have many of the tools that we are blessed with today. But I tell you what they did have, they loved Jesus. And they were out there sharing. And you know, it really, it amazes me as you're able to look out there to see how far their impact spread. 
we think, can we really touch Bristol and the Tri-Cities? Why don't I just take a moment? I'd ask Jeff to... It's so cool to have somebody like Jeff that do this stuff. Uh, I had emailed him a map. and See there from Macedonia all the way to the bottom of the peninsula, Achaia? There's the area. See where Thessalonica is? Guys, their influence started there and it went all the way down to the end there, to the bottom there in Achaia. They covered a large area. Why? Because their excitement, their passion for Jesus Christ couldn't be contained and it moved out. It's still what He calls us to do today. And I know, I know it's tough. I know you get out there and as you try to share, look, I understand. People don't listen. People don't respond. Sometimes they get angry. Well, sometimes they're closed and many times we get discouraged. I know. I understand. I'm there a lot of times myself. But remember this. Your faithfulness is not in the results you see. It's in your obedience to God. And, and just go. Because you never know the total impact of your work. And I want to close with a video. It's kind of long, but uh, you'll, it's worth it. Man, I, I, I think God will get a hold of our hearts as we see it's about a man who didn't see the total impact of his influence until near the end of his life. But uh, let's watch this, and then we're going to have a chance to respond as we come near the end of the service. Wait a minute, uh, this message is non-copyright. Duplication is encouraged. A number of years ago, in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London, the Sunday morning service was closing, and a stranger stood up at the back, raised his hand, he said, Excuse me, Pastor, can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch, he said, You've got three minutes. And this man proceeded. He said, I just moved into this area. I used to live in another part of London. I came from Sydney in Australia. And just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives. And I was walking down George Street. You know where George Street is in Sydney. It runs from the business hub out to the rocks, the colonial area. And he said, a strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand and said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. Nobody had ever told me that. I thanked him courteously, and all the way on British Airlines, back to Heathrow, this puzzled me. I called a friend who lived in this new area, where I'm living now, and thank God he was a Christian, he led me to Christ, and I'm a Christian, and I want a fellowship here, and Baptists love testimonies like it. Everyone applauded and welcomed him into the fellowship. That Baptist pastor flew to Adelaide in Australia the next week, and ten days later, in the middle of a three-day series in a Baptist church in Adelaide, a woman came to him for counseling, and he wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. And she said, I used to live in Sydney. And just a couple of months back, I was visiting friends in Sydney, doing some last-minute shopping down George Street, and a strange little white-haired man, elderly man, stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a pamphlet, and said, Excuse me, ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me, and I sought out the pastor, and he led me to Christ. So, sir, I'm telling you that I am a Christian. Now, this London pastor was now very puzzled. Twice, within a fortnight, he'd heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach in the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth. And when his teaching series was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal. And he said, mate, how'd you get saved? He said, I grew up in this church from the age of 15 through Boys Brigade. Never made a commitment to Jesus, just hopped on the bandwagon like everybody else. And because of my business ability, grew up to a place of influence. 
I was on a business outing in Sydney just three years ago, and an obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a stop shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, cheap junk, and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder. He wouldn't listen to me. He said, I was seeding with anger all the way home on Qantas to, to Perth. He said, I told my pastor, thinking he would sympathize with me, and my pastor agreed. He had been disturbed for years, knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and he was right. And my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. Now, this London preacher flew back to the UK and was speaking at the Keswick Convention in the Lake District. And he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, four elderly pastors came up and said, we got saved between 25 and 35 years ago, respectively, through that little man on George Street giving us a tract and asking us that question. He then flew the following week to a similar Keswick Convention in the Caribbean, to missionaries. And he shared the testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, three missionaries came up and said, we got saved between 15 and 25 years ago, respectively, through that little man's testimony and asking us that same question on George Street in Sydney. Coming back to London, he stopped outside Atlanta, Georgia, to speak at a naval chaplain's convention. And when his three days of revving these naval chaplains up, over a thousand of them, in soul winning, the chaplain general took him out for a meal. And he said, how do you become a Christian? He said, well, it was miraculous. I was a rating on a United States battleship, and I lived a reprobate life. We were doing exercises in the South Pacific, and we docked in Sydney Harbor for replenishments. We hit King's Cross with a vengeance. I got blind drunk. I got on the wrong bus, got off in George Street. And <laughs> as I got off the bus, I thought it was a ghost. This elderly, white-haired man jumped in front of me, pushed a pamphlet in my hand, and said, Sailor, are you saved? If you die tonight, you're going to heaven. He said, the fear of God hit me immediately. I was shocked sober and ran back to the battleship, sought out the chaplain. The chaplain led me to Christ. And I soon began to prepare for the ministry under his guidance. And here I am in charge of over a thousand chaplains and we're bent on soul winning today. That London preacher, six months later, flew to do a convention for 5,000 Indian missionaries in a remote corner of northeastern India. And at the end... The Indian missionary in charge, a humble little man, took him home to his humble little home for a simple meal. And he said, how did you, as a Hindu, come to Christ? He said, I was in a very privileged position. I worked for the Indian diplomatic mission. And I traveled the world. And I am so glad for the forgiveness of Christ and his blood covering my sin, because I'd be very embarrassed if people found out what I got into. He said, one bout of diplomatic service took me to Sydney. And I was doing some last-minute shopping laden with parcels of toys and clothing for my children, walking down George Street. And this courteous little white-haired man stepped out in front of me, offered me a pamphlet, and said, Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I thanked him very much, but this disturbed me. I got back to my town, I sought out the Hindu priest, and he couldn't help me. But he gave me some advice. He said, just to satisfy your curious mind, nothing else, go and talk to the missionary in the mission house at the end of the road. And that was fatal advice. He said, because that day the missionary led me to Christ, I quit Hinduism immediately, and then began to study for the ministry. I left the diplomatic service, and here I am, by God's grace, in charge of all these missionaries, and we are winning hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Well, eight months later... That Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney, in Gymea, southern suburb of Sydney. And he said to the Baptist minister, do you know a little man, an elderly little man who witnesses and hands out tracts on George Street? And he said, 
I do. His name is Mr. Genor, G-E-N-O-R. But I don't think he does it anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The man said, I want to meet him. Two nights later, they went around to this little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. He sat them down, made them some tea, and he was so frail, he was slopping tea into the sauce as he shook. And as he sat with them, this London preacher told him all these accounts over the previous three years. This little man sat with tears running down his cheeks. He said, my story goes like this. He said, I was a rating on an Australian warship, and I lived a reprobate life, and in a crisis, I really hit the wall, and one of my colleagues, whom I gave literal hell, was there to help me. He led me to Jesus, and the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours, and I was so grateful to God, I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day. As God gave me strength, sometimes I was ill, I couldn't do it, but I made up for it for other times. I wasn't paranoid about it, but I have done this for over 40 years, and in my retirement years, the best place was on George Street. There were hundreds of people. I got lots of rejections, but a lot of people courteously took the tracks. And he said, in 40 years of doing this, I've never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. Do you know, I would say, that has to be commitment. That has to be just sheer gratitude and love for Jesus to do that. Not hearing of any results. Margarita did a little count. That's 146,100 people. That simple little non-charismatic Baptist man influenced somehow to Jesus. And I believe what God was showing that Baptist minister was the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of this iceberg. Goodness knows how many more had been arrested for Christ and were doing huge jobs out in the mission field. Mr. Genor died two weeks later. And can you imagine the reward he went home to in heaven? I doubt if his face would ever have appeared on Charisma magazine. I doubt if there would ever have been a write-up with a photograph in Billy Graham's Decision magazine, as beautiful as those magazines are. Nobody except a little group of Baptists in southern Sydney knew about Mr. Genor, but I'll tell you his name was famous in heaven. Heaven knew Mr. Genor, and you can imagine the welcome and the red carpet and the fanfare he went home to when he arrived in glory. How do you add to that? Um, you don't. But maybe God's spoken to you today. Maybe you need to come to this altar. Maybe you need to do business with God. Maybe you need to pray before Him. Say, God, I'm not much, but I'm yours. And I want to be faithful. It may not be George Street. It may be State Street or Lee Highway or wherever. But you want to be faithful. I encourage you to come and to share not only with the Lord, but if God leads you with us as a people, what God's done in your life and in your heart this morning. Because I believe He's working. Maybe you've heard all this stuff and maybe though you've asked yourself the question, if I died tonight and went to heaven, would I go to heaven? And you're not sure about that. You haven't nailed that down. You haven't really trusted Jesus so that you have a walking, working relationship with Him. Deal with that today. Oh man, I'd love to pray with you. 
But you don't need anyone else. You can pray right where you are and say, Jesus, come live in my life. Forgive me. Make me whole, Lord. He will. But then you need to come forward if that occurs and you need to follow that through with baptism and, and, and faithfully show what's happened in your life. The change. That's what baptism's about. Anyway, we want to give time to respond to God. We're going to pray. Be at the front. Stand. Sing. If God's called you, come. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for opportunity today to look at this, uh, how the Gospel works and what You want of us, Lord. Master, may Your Spirit move among us this morning and may we obey, may we come, may we follow. Lord, uh, You know us. Lord, speak. And uh, may we, like Samuel, say, Lord, speak, Your servant's listening. Oh, God, may that happen today. In your name we pray. Amen.